0: The murderers are under arrest. They are facing prison time. Second degree murder and accessories to murder. We told you we'd give you an update on that last week. We're doing it for you right now. But we're going to hop right back into the world of sports. It's downtown sports. I am your host of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. And we've got a whole jam-packed. Show for you today, a special three-part episode.
1: NBA season is back. 22 teams for 16 spots to determine a playoff champion for the NBA in 2020. We go over those teams and we discuss this playoff format, how it will work. Is Major League Baseball heading down a very dangerous path with a strike looming in the near future? We also will be joined by a very special guest, talking to us about the NHL and its return. The legendary Kenny Albert will join us. Let's get after it.
0: All right, we're going to dive right into the NBA. We haven't talked to NBA in a long time.
1: Let's just start that clock right about now. Now, it's very, very interesting with with what the NBA proposed, and I'd like to bring that baby up as we uh, take a look at the, well, basically a nice well-written out and well-explained return to how the NBA is going to bring back its season. Uh, Let's go back in time a little bit. March 11th, the NBA season was halted. Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19, and that was the beginning of not just the NBA, but every professional sport following suit and shutting down.
0: NBA game, like, go back and listen to uh, Birdman – the Birdman episode where we had I, and he explains exactly how that day went down because the Nets and the Warriors were supposed to be the first game played without fans. Mm -hmm. So we start off March 11th with Rudy Gobert coughs on a bunch of microphones, and then he tests positive for coronavirus two days later. And we're in this situation with all professional sports right now, thanks to what happened in the NBA.
1: So fast forward to right now. June 4th. The Board of Governors for the NBA finally approved a competitive format to restart the 2019 2020 season. It will be 22 teams that will come back to action. They'll play a brief regular season, and then we will have the NBA playoffs. The start of these games will be July 31st in Disney World's Resort in Florida, which should be a very Very interesting way to really bring the NBA season back. It will have no fans. But the fact that the NBA is actually doing this, and they were, ironically enough, the very first sport to come back when they were the first sport to shut down, this is a very positive step in the right direction. And you really give credit where it's due to Commissioner Adam Silver and the whole NBA Players Association and the players themselves for getting the season back as soon as possible
0: well now we're actually starting to hear little arguments that are going to take place about the Disney World plan itself what hotels are the players going to be staying at you know some players are like hey I don't want to stay in some of these uh Disney hotels that are not that nice the way I think they're going to do it is let's just end this whole debate right now before it even becomes one because I I really don't want to hear about What's going to happen with NBA players? Are they complaining about hotel rooms? I don't care about that. Here, here's what's going to happen. If you're seated the highest, you're going to be staying in the best place. Remember how we had home court advantage in the playoffs? That doesn't exist anymore right now. So what you do is you have a situation where if you're the best seed, guess what? You're going to stay in like the Mickey Mouse VIP suite where uh, Minnie Mouse uh, dressed Characters are going to come serve you like breakfast parfaits and things like that. And if you're the 22nd ranked team, then uh, your living accommodations are not going to be that great. But at least you're there. I mean, I'd say that's the only fair way to do that. But that is the only problem the NBA is having right now in terms of uh, restarting their season. Contract and money stuff seems to not be an issue right now. We haven't heard issues from players about that so far. So, so far, so good when it comes to the NBA. Anything else, Johnny?
1: So, the 22 teams that will return, just for those that don't remember, nine will be in the Eastern Conference, 13 will be in the Western Conference. And they're the following. For the East, the Bucks, the Toronto Raptors, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, the Indiana Pacers, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, the Orlando Magic, and the Washington Wizards. That's the Eastern Conference, the 13 in the West, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Clippers, the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, the Trailblazers, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, the Spurs, and the Phoenix Suns.
0: So, for the first time in how many years the Sacramento Kings actually made the playoffs?
1: You go back to the year of Vladi Divac. Yeah. That was when the That's Kings- first.
0: That's first. That's a shocking thing. The second thing is I now, thanks to you telling me all the teams that remained, have figured out why the NBA came up with this plan. Yeah. They, they want-
1: have if- – uh, I'll tell you why. You want to know? It's real easy. Please.
0: They promoted Zion Williams so heavily in the draft. They promoted him so heavily all season long. I have not seen this much hype behind somebody that was drafted number one overall since LeBron James. The NBA did this with this specific format in mind to get a potential matchup that might pit somebody like Zion against somebody like Kawhi, for example.
1: Well, it's a good matchup to see the future of the NBA right before our very eyes. Even though I'd say Kawhi is more like now the present of the NBA, but Zion is clearly the future of the NBA.
0: Yeah, Not and that. the M- well, at least that's what the NBA marketing team had told us for about like what a good year. Yeah. Not that we've seen any real proof of that on the court yet? I mean, look, when Zion came back, the Pelicans have played much better, but you know, look, uh, Jeremy Lin had a great half a season and look what happened to him. But so, Zion, Zion has a
1: very real presence about him. He's 6 foot 7. He's 260 plus pounds. Not your average typical basketball player. You know, like LeBron is a good 250 built guy at 6 foot 5. Zion can get can get to about that type of athleticism of LeBron. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing to see. But this is why the NBA did this. The NBA did this to put Zion Williams in Zion Williams in the playoffs. Zion needs to be there because if you've promoted him this much and you now have a cockamamie format system that you have to come up with because there's about 20 games that the NBA is not going to finish playing this year um, in the regular season, you got to give teams that are on the bubble a chance at this entire thing. So you know what you do? If you're going to do that and you're going to give teams on the bubble of chance, make it so that you could get that number one rookie draft pick that you put so much money into commercials and promoting and Nike's spent a bunch of money promoting this guy already. He's got endorsement deals that somebody his age generally wouldn't believe. And he's getting him on television gets the entire city of New Orleans involved when they wouldn't have been before because New Orleans happens to like Zion right now, this would actually be, and wouldn't it be really something if the Pelicans could go in and actually win a playoff series yeah. against a team and Zion can actually make it to a second round, that would be the kind of thing that, you know, uh, could rally a city around a player. This is Zion's chance to actually get New Orleans back into MB- really into NBA basketball.
1: So let me go into how that seating will work. How, how will these teams get themselves in? Cause the NBA will play a traditional playoff format of 16 teams and best of seven series, but for tie-breaking matchups, particularly with the amount of games you're going to be playing, how will the playoff seating actually work? So the teams in each conference with the best records, the seven teams regular season and seating, and they're also going to play seating games to really determine who will get the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight spot. They will play games in each conference. The best records, regular season and seeding games would clinch a playoff spot. And the usual tiebreaker scenarios would be in place for those seeds as well. The eighth seed could come down to a play-in tournament. Now, what is a play-in tournament? If the team with the eighth best record in its conference has more than four games, or more than four games ahead of the team with the ninth best record, they won't play a play-in. But if the team with the highest one is four games or fewer ahead, With the ninth-best record in the same conference, there will be a battle for that final spot, and it will be a best-of-two series. The number-nine team would have to win two head-to-head matchups to take the eighth spot. So kind of get where we're going here. So for that last seed that really wants to earn that spot, they're going to have to go up a mountain and back down that mountain to get themselves in.
0: So, what teams are we looking at in what particular situation? How do we stack up right now? I know because we only because after uh, the Magic, nobody else is really in the East that could even qualify, so they're not going. But the West is a gigantic mishmash of teams. You're going to have five teams that are going to go to Disney and go home real, real quick.
1: Yeah. Right now, as we look at the West, the Grizzlies currently at at this point in the regular season with 65 games in, have the eighth spot. The Blazers are roughly about three and a half games behind them. The Pelicans are three and a half. It's actually a three-way tie. The Kings, Pelicans, and Blazers all have – are three and a half games behind for that eighth and final spot. So right now, if the playoffs were to begin today, this is the matchup we got here. Number one against eight, the Bucks and the Magic, the Pacers and the Heat, the Celtics and the Sixers the Nets and the Raptors, the Lakers and the Grizzlies, the Jazz and the Thunder, the Nuggets and the Rockets and the Clippers and the Mavericks.
0: So now the only question I really have, I mean, because honestly at this point uh, I don't see the Wizards doing anything. So the East is pretty much set. I think we're looking at exactly what we're going to see in the East. You're going to see Milwaukee, Orlando. You're going to see Brooklyn and Toronto. Boston, Philly, Indiana, Miami, that's a great lineup for a round one playoff in the East. All of those series are going to be pretty decent to watch, save Milwaukee and the Magic. Um, it, if Kyrie does come back or if Durant's blowing smoke, 2-7 um, is always going to be interesting depending on who's playing and who's not. And you, I don't care what Kevin Durant says, you don't know until it happens. Well, so, and
1: he's rushing himself back. He, he He's kind of taking the approach of, I'm going to let myself heal. I'm not going to rush myself like he did in the past.
0: No, I, I, and I completely agree with him. He blew out his Achilles and lost a year and a half of his career. So, I mean, it, it's just about nuts what happened, what happened with him. So he's not going to risk himself again. The thing that you're going to see though, maybe Kyrie Irving comes back. Maybe they actually finally has some synergy they are now far enough away from the coaching change to yeah. where maybe they've actually come up with some schemes that were different than what Kenny Atkinson was putting in. Maybe they could. Maybe you'll see a new look next team. Who knows? Now in the West, let's check out all of those teams that are still in. If we could just bring that up really fast yeah so the teams that you really are looking at one through seven are set so memphis portland pelicans sacramento and the spurs and the suns so you pretty much have a situation where eight through 12 are pretty much in a similar position to each other um I mean, Memphis has a sizable lead over everybody else, but that doesn't mean that these teams can get themselves back. These team, other teams can't get themselves back into contention. New Orleans was playing well before the season ended. Um, Portland was on a downward turn, um, so I expect them to keep falling. So the teams that I would really see battling it out for that eighth spot would be the Pelicans and the Grizzlies.
1: I wouldn't always. I would never single out Popovich. He you knows how to. A click a spurs team into action when they have to so don't think this layoff didn't help the spurs either
0: oh I, i'm not saying no at all i'm not saying no at all i mean in like you know the, the only problem i would see with uh up the spurs right now is just talent levels just not there in comparison to the other teams i mean look at portland look at new orleans look at memphis and look at san antonio the talent level is just not it just doesn't match
1: this will be a very interesting race and i will not be surprised the West, if we see a play-in game between one of these remaining teams, I think we, we might get a play-in game. of destiny. I think we're,
0: we're going to see, we're going to see a play-in. We're probably going to see a play-in and what the NBA is hoping is that number 10, New Orleans, goes up above Portland and ends up in the ninth or the eighth spot. That, that would be honestly what they would love. And then they would love would to love see to Zion actually get into the eighth spot so then your round one matchup would be Anthony Davis versus Zion Williamson. And I
1: would love yeah, to see –
0: LeBron's the side piece.
1: I want to see – In that, that series,
0: LeBron's the side piece. It's I AD see. versus Zion.
1: <laughs> I want to see a battle, if we can get to it. I want to see a battle, John Morant against Zion. I want to see the top two draft picks in a playoff go one-on-one against one another. That'd,
0: That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. But, oh, my God, could you imagine – the drama in that series, even though, you know, LA is just going to steamroll the Pelicans that that's only half the point. The other half of that point is here's the Pelicans, the same place that AD was at the same place that was the eighth seed when AD was there is now back is now back in the playoffs in the eighth seed without their star who if they actually listened to the way that he spoke about the team, felt that if he wasn't there, they would have been a bottom of the barrel team. So if New Orleans makes this top eight, imagine this, it will literally make Anthony Davis look like a fool, a gigantic fool, because the Pelicans were right there. They were right there with him, and they're in the same spot now without
1: him, and they actually might have got an upgrade. Shaping up to be a very interesting NBA return. The NBA Finals, by the way, if, well, not if, if they go the distance, the last game of the season will be October 12th with Game 7 of the NBA Finals. We'll go more into this, and we're really going to look forward to the NBA upon its return. As we get closer to that return, we will go more into it. But right now, let's take a little break. When we come back, Kenny Albert, one of the best sportscasters in the business, covers all four major sports. He will join us. We'll be right back after this.
0: And we're back here on Downtown Sports. I'm John Chavoni, the mouth of the South, along with the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. And here with our featured guest for this episode, Beast, take it away. It's taking you a long time to get this man on
1: from what you've oh told me. Oh, my goodness. Seven. After seven long years, we have a very special guest joining us. And I'd like to kind of get into it like this before we get in. Uh, let's kind of go back a little bit. Sports are now finally returning. COVID-19 is now beginning to dissipate. As sports are now beginning to slowly return, we're pleased to welcome here today someone that knows sports all too well. He's been calling it for a long time, and not just for one of them, but for all four major professional North American sports. You can see him regularly on Fox for MLB Baseball on Saturdays. You can see him for football on Sundays on Fox. NBC sports coverage for the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs, the radio voice on MSG for the New York Rangers, and you can also see him on the MSG network for the New York Knicks on TV. We are pleased to be joined today by the legendary Kenny Albert. Kenny, a pleasure to have you on Downtown Sports. How are you doing today?
2: I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, That was quite the introduction. Hopefully, uh, both of you and your families and all the listeners are doing well and staying safe. Absolutely. We,
1: we are, and I hope everybody is as well. Uh, I want to start things off here, Kenny, right up to the point here. Now that COVID-19 came along three months, no sports. Now they're beginning to slowly come back. How are you able to ramp yourself back up, getting back into that sportscasters mode? And is there something from your past kind of that helped you, prepare you for a situation like this if there was a long lull with no sports?
2: Well, it's certainly been a surreal and bizarre time for all of us. Uh, As we speak today, this is day 90 since I last worked an event uh, back on March 11th, the Rangers-Colorado Avalanche game in Denver. Flew home on March 12th and have been here ever since. So I don't think there's really any uh, time in the past that I can look back to that prepared any of us for this. You know, as you guys probably know, uh, there are certain times of the year where I'm crazy busy, um, probably work 150 events a year in hotels, on planes, all over the country, Canada, uh, sometimes overseas as well. So this has been bizarre. Um, I think the first couple of weeks was real strange, um, not having that next event to prepare for, uh, the next flight to book, the next uh, ride to the airport. But I think after a couple of weeks, we all fell into a routine. I know on my end, uh, it's meant a lot more family time, which has actually been a, a positive, I'm sure, for a lot of us during this stretch. Um, I've gotten some cleaning and organizing done around my house that, that probably hasn't uh, been done so thoroughly in 20 years with uh, things piling up, newspapers, books, media guides, uh, tapes, DVDs, you know, all that stuff. Um, and looking forward to hopefully uh, the return pretty soon. I know we've heard about uh, the various plans and scenarios put forth by the NHL and, and the NBA and uh, for playoffs and the NFL schedule has come out, the preseason schedule. So as of now, they're planning on starting uh, at the usual time. We'll see what happens with regard to all of the sports, but certainly uh, reading about it like you guys are and following it every day. And uh, Again, hopefully the numbers keep going down, the flattening the curve that all the politicians and doctors and scientists keep talking about. And it'll be a little different, I'm sure, once we come back, obviously, with with hockey in two locations and basketball in Orlando and the potential of broadcasts being done from studios and not necessarily at the arenas and stadiums, at least at the start. Uh, We've seen that with other events that have taken place, NASCAR races where the announcers are in a studio in Charlotte. Uh, we all watched the the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, uh, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods golf event. No fans. Uh, there were cameramen and women, obviously, and technicians, but uh, nobody was getting close to one another. Uh, Korean baseball on television, European soccer. And I know even in the production trucks, where there are normally 15 or 20 people sitting pretty close together uh, to bring you the sights and sounds of, of sporting events, uh, you know, daily from around the world, I know they're planning on putting up plexiglass and having people sitting far apart uh, so that they could still work once sports do return, but it might be a little different, as they say, the new normal.
0: Um, Now, going back to the old normal, when you first started in this this business, I wanted to go back into the early 1990s um, when you were the announcer for the, I believe it was the Baltimore Skipjacks, right? You're absolutely correct. How, two-part question, I guess. Did you know you were rooming with the uh, fourth winningest NHL coach in history back then? Did you see that in him then? And what was the best story you had rooming with Barry Trotz for those two years?
2: Well, there is one story that's certainly the best, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, But just for the listeners who might be unfamiliar with the Baltimore Skipjacks and who they were, uh, back in 1990, I was hired to do the radio broadcasts and also work in the team office, handling some sales and marketing and public relations. But my main job was as the radio play-by-play broadcaster. And they were the minor league affiliate of the Washington Capitals at the time, uh, the equivalent of a Triple A affiliate in baseball. So very fortunate to get hired, 22 years old. And I moved down. Uh, It's been almost 30 years, late June 1990. Drove down to Baltimore, moved into an apartment, worked for the team over the summer, preparing for the season, which would begin in October of, 90 And uh, at a barbecue that summer, a team barbecue, I met for the first time uh, Barry Trotz, who was 27 or 28 years old at the time. I was 22. And to save money at the minor league level, all the players had roommates on the road during every road trip, two players to a room. And the head coach, I think, was the only person who uh, was entitled to his own room, and that was Robbie Laird. Barry was the assistant coach. So to save money, they had the assistant coach and the announcer share a room together. So on every road trip for two years, we were roommates. And uh, did I know that he would become the fourth winningest head coach in NHL history? Certainly not. I'm sure he would have said the same thing. Now, I loved him right from the start. As a coach, as a person, I learned so much from Barry, both hockey-wise and just life in general. Um, I was biased because I knew him so well. So I was certainly hoping he would get a shot in the National Hockey League at some point. At that time, there were only 21 teams expansion came uh the next year san jose was number 22 and now we have 31 teams and he was actually the beneficiary of an expansion team nashville the nashville predators when they entered the league in the late 90s he was hired a year before they played their first game and uh, david Poyle, who had been the washington general manager went to nashville and had the relationship with barry uh but i don't know if anyone knew that he'd become the fourth winningest coach now there are a lot of stories. I think back to a, a night in Utica, New York. Uh, we played a game elsewhere, maybe in Baltimore, perhaps on the road somewhere else the night before. So the, we took a bus through a snowstorm. We get to Utica about 3 in the morning. I think it was a Holiday Inn, and our room was on the ground floor. And it was a, one of those hotels where the door opens to the outside. So, you, the, you know, the cars pull up, the team bus pulls up, and you can enter your room uh, through the parking lot, basically. So it was so cold, it was snowing, we go into our room, the heat wasn't working, the snow and ice was coming in through the bottom of the door, and um, we wound up wearing our clothing to bed with our winter coats, that's how we slept for the entire night, uh, you know, that, that's one that we still talk about uh, whenever I see Barry, but to answer your question, John, the number one story uh, took place in March of 92, it was one of the only times we would fly all season, Normally it was bus rides, four hours, six hours, eight hours, 10 hours to Portland, Maine from Baltimore. But once a year we would fly up to the Canadian maritime provinces, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, New Brunswick. And we'd fly to one city, play a game, and then take a bus within uh, the Maritimes and play like eight games, six or eight games, and then fly home at the end of the trip. So – They were all small planes, 30, 40 seats, regional jets. We had to take three flights in one day. We left from Baltimore. We had to connect in Boston, then on to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and then on to Sydney, Nova Scotia. That was our final destination. And the hockey equipment bags, as you can imagine, are are pretty big. So there were 20, 22 players in the team. We had all their equipment, all the sticks, all of the uh, equipment from the trainer and the equipment manager. So – Not much else was going to fit on this plane. So our personal luggage, we were told, would probably not make it until the next day. It would have to catch up to us. So we take the three flights. We land in the late afternoon in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And it's a really small airport. We step off the plane down steps right onto the tarmac. And there's a gentleman with a clipboard right at the bottom. And as I come down the steps, he sort of motions me over. And he points to a name on the clipboard. He says, is this you? It was. It was my name. And he said, could you please come with me? Now, I thought that as a team employee, they perhaps needed me to identify what the luggage was going to look like when it came in the next day. You know, they didn't have the the system that they have now where, you know, it's all electronic and you have an app on your phone. and You can see where your luggage is. We didn't even have cell phones back in 1992. So that's what I thought, that he needed me to describe what my suitcases look like, what some of the others look like. They bring me into a small room and start questioning me. Is your passport valid? Have you ever been arrested? Do you have any friends that are in trouble? Do you have anything illegal in your luggage? And I'm answering no to every question. And then they say, come with us. And these two older gentlemen lead me into an unmarked police vehicle. And I knew I wasn't being kidnapped. It had computer equipment up front. It it was a legitimate police vehicle. Oh, man. And they put me in the backseat, no handcuffs or anything like that. And And they start driving around, and they continue to ask these questions, similar to what they had been inquiring about inside and I'm not thinking to myself that maybe this is a setup practical joke I, I know I didn't do any of the things they're asking so I have no idea what's going on finally after about 15 minutes they pull up to what looks like a hotel and they said to me we have one final question do you know Jimmy Wiseman Jimmy was the security chief for the Washington Capitals and the Skipjacks and I knew him and we all knew him and he set the whole thing up uh through his brother who was a policeman up in sydney nova scotia and it was a practical joke that that they would pull on somebody every year and what had happened was a couple of months earlier i interviewed barry trotz before every game barry or robbie laird our head coach into my tape recorder for the pregame show on the radio Uh barry said something that came out a little wrong he flubbed a word or two and it sounded funny whatever it was and I didn't play it on the air, but I made the mistake after the game of playing that tape for a couple of the players. And word got back to Barry, and they were all laughing about it. And Barry said, "Uh, don't worry, I'm going to get you back one day. And uh, he filed it away, and he got me back by pulling that prank, the elaborate prank uh, of having me, uh, quote, arrested once we landed in Sydney, Nova Scotia. But we joke about it to this day. Anytime I see him, if I'm working one of his games, he loves retelling the story when there's a big group of media folks around, and it never gets old, even 28 years later.
0: Yeah, wow. no, that's insane. That, that is completely insane. John, I, yeah. I, I, just can't, I, I had a question to follow, but I can't. Go ahead.
1: Well, so I have one. What's even, what's even more insane, I think, is going to be this one. And, uh, Kenny, uh, moving further down the, uh, the timeline a little bit, the number 12 was a very significant number I want to bring up here. For 12 days, Kenny called games. On the 13th, Albert rested. You called 12 games in a span of 13 days across five states in 2014. How were you able to manage that in a two-week span, traveling coast to coast, across the country? How were you able to do that in, in 12, 12 out of 13 days?
2: Yeah, that that was crazy. I think the adrenaline helps carry you through, and it was during the NHL's conference finals. and. That year, NBC, uh, for the first time, asked me to work the Western Conference Final Series, uh, which turned out to be a tremendous series between the LA Kings and Chicago Blackhawks. It went to Game 7 overtime in Chicago, and LA wound up winning that game. Ironically, uh, the Rangers, for only the second time in 15 or 16 years, advanced to the Eastern Conference Final that same year. And I do the Rangers radio broadcast, as you mentioned, so now... I have two different employers, MSG, Rangers Radio, and NBC, Western Conference Final. And the good news is the NHL schedules the games during the conference final every other day. So they never play on the same night or the same day. Um, However, you have to get back and forth. And uh, those four cities were New York, Montreal, L.A., and Chicago. Somehow it worked out. Um, due to logistics, I did not work that first Rangers-Montreal game on the radio. Don LeGreca did the game with Dave Maloney. But after that, I worked the remaining five games of the Rangers-Montreal series and all seven games of LA-Chicago. There were maybe two full off days in between uh, where I was able to travel on an off day. But aside from that, it was a lot of red eyes back and forth. It was 6 a.m. flights to LA, if I remember correctly. There was one day where I took a 6 a.m. flight to L.A. and then took a red-eye back after the game to New York uh, for the Ranger game the next day. It was, it was absolutely crazy, and it was so much fun. Uh, again, you run on adrenaline, not a lot of sleep, and uh, that was probably the craziest two-week stretch I've ever had. There, there have been some others where I have multiple sports. Uh, in October, for example, the past couple of years, four different sports in the span of maybe eight or nine days. Uh, but sometimes there's not as much travel. Uh, there could be, but uh, not as crazy as 2014. And you know, the big thing is keeping the voice healthy. And I have no secrets. Um, I do use a lot of Hall's cough drops. But aside from that, I've been very lucky, knock on wood, uh, with the voice, especially when you don't get a lot of sleep. And these are high energy games. So uh, it all worked out. Uh, the next year, 2015, it was somewhat similar Fewer games, Uh, I think I worked three games of the West Final that year in Anaheim, and then the Rangers, Tampa Bay, in the Conference Final, Uh, it worked out to be about eight or nine games. So it was similar with with the coast-to-coast travel, and I remember working a a triple overtime game in Anaheim. Uh, Marcus Kruger scored for the Blackhawks and made it to the morning skate in Tampa the next morning somehow. Now the the key that time the key to that uh, trip was the games in Anaheim started at 5 or 6 o'clock oh. because it was uh, 8 on the east coast for television purposes so even a triple overtime game probably ended at 10:30 or 11 and I was able to catch the flight at midnight or 12:30 a.m.
0: All right. And um, just to follow up on that, um, you said, you you know, it's like Hall's cough drops, but then how do you go through that whole period with no sleep? I know the adrenaline, but then you got to remember all this stuff. I've seen you in other interviews come out with like stacks and stacks of paperwork. How are you doing all of the stacks of the paperwork, the prep for the game while flying red eyes? It's not like you're getting sleep on the plane, you know?
2: Right. Um, You know, normally, during the regular season or early in the playoffs, I think it's a lot crazier as far as the prep. Uh, If I have four sports in October in the span of seven or eight days, yes, it's a lot of prep, and I try to get a lot of it done on planes and in cars and in hotel rooms, et cetera. But during the playoffs, John, in in the conference final, for example, believe it or not, there's a lot less prep because once you've done the prep prior to game one of a series and then you're at every game, you're living it. So you're still keeping up. You're still reading all the articles that are written in both cities, and you're going to practices and listening to players and coaches and press conferences. But once you prepare for the series, there's not as much prep because you've done it already, and then you're living through all the games. So that actually makes it a little bit easier during times like that.
1: In conjunction with the return to action for the NHL, uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman announced a 24-team playoff tournament. So, 12 teams for the Eastern Conference, 12 for the Western Conference. I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think of this new format post-COVID-19 and really giving teams that were on the outside of the playoff picture, really kind of giving them a chance to compete. What are your thoughts on this 24-team playoff, and how good is this for the game of the NHL coming back from COVID?
2: Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Um, It's 24 teams as opposed to the usual 16. You know, it's funny – outsiders who don't necessarily follow hockey always say, oh, everybody makes the playoffs in hockey. But it's really not true. It's 16 out of 31. It's, it's just under half. It's the same as the NBA, 16 out of 30. Now, back in the day, it was 16 out of 21. So that was a little bit different. But these days, half the teams normally do miss the playoffs. So it's not that easy to get in. But uh, the 24-team system with the play-in round, I think it's fair because most teams had between 10 and 12 games remaining in the regular season. And the Rangers, for example, they had been 11 points out at the all-star break, but were only two points out when the pause took place on on March 12th. So they still have 10 or 11 games left. there are other teams in similar situations, even four and six points out. You still have a shot. Teams get hot. So by keeping the extra eight teams, uh, some of the teams that, that work close to a playoff spot, it gives them an opportunity. And there will be eight, uh, series during the playing round, three out of five, and then those eight teams will advance, and the eight teams uh, get a bye. Although they'll play for seeding, but they know that they're automatically in the first round. The top four teams in each conference. So uh, I think it's fair, and and it keeps the fans in in eight more markets uh, with their eyeballs on the sport of hockey during the playoffs. Once they do start up again, all the games will be televised, whether locally or on uh, one of the NBC channels. So. Uh, we'll all keep our fingers crossed. I know they've talked about starting training camps around July 10th. Many teams over the last couple of days have opened up their practice facilities and six players are allowed at a time on the ice and in the training facilities. So uh, we'll see what happens as far as the the potential dates. But if they do start training camp July 10th, hopefully uh, they start the games in the two cities, the two hub cities sometime in uh, early to mid-August. I think that would be Ideal at this point. I know the NBA's talked about an August 15th start date, and uh, we'll look forward to hopefully watching hockey and basketball throughout the summer and early fall. Um, speaking of watching sports, first off, we're here
0: with Kenny Albert uh, if you're just tuning in. And I just wanted to thank you for coming on. And this will be the last question. We know we got to get you out of here pretty soon. But um, Shifting sports to Major League Baseball and the fiasco that has been the negotiation between the owners and the players, lots of people have opinions on it. I'm not going to try to go in on whose side are you on. The one thing I'm going to ask is, do you see a 2020 season happening or are we seeing an impending strike considering what 2021 and beyond and the contract negotiations that are going to have to take place over the next couple of years?
2: Right. Um, I don't have any inside info. I just know what I read and hear like you guys My personal opinion would be I would think they'll work it out at some point. I don't think anyone wants to not have a season. We've seen what work stoppages have done in the various sports, uh, whether baseball back in 94, 95, and hockey when they've gone through work stoppages, basketball back in in 99, 2000. They missed uh, a good portion of the season. They played a 48-game season. So, you know, as long as it's safe and they come up with the guidelines following COVID-19, I would certainly hope that uh, they do get things worked out because, um, you know, even if one side doesn't like the terms and they don't feel like the terms are uh, to their satisfaction, if you don't play at all, then nobody's making any money. The players are the owners. So uh, I would hopefully be optimistic that they'll work it out. I know it's a little tougher when you can't meet in person and everything's over the phone or zoom meetings or via email or some other technology, but uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. And how wild would it be if, if, uh, September comes, and all of a sudden, all four sports are going at the same time: NFL, baseball, NHL postseason, NBA postseason. How much fun would that be? And then you you have some of the triple crown horse races and uh, golf, and some of the other sports as well simultaneously.
1: Absolutely, Kenny Albert, broadcaster for all four major North American sports, voice of the Rangers. A pleasure to have you here today, and. We are hoping and praying all sports will come back very, very soon. And we're beginning to see it slowly.
2: Well, I hope so. And uh, John and John, great to be with you guys. And uh, let's do it again soon. We'll, let's not <laughs> wait <laughs> <later laughs> another seven years. Yep, let's not. We will. <laughs> we'll do to, it again real come soon. On, happy to come on anytime.
0: Definitely. We'll have you back on real, real soon, especially once, uh, perhaps once these uh, playoffs actually start getting running, okay? All right. You have my promise. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks All right. That was Kenny Albert. This is downtown sports. Um, we'll be right back after this. Where the hell is the ball game? Where the hell are the sounds? I want some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. If they don't figure this out, I'll never come back. (laughs) Welcome back to Downtown Sports. I'm the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. That's the beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. And uh, first off, I want to thank Kenny Albert for uh, being on the show. But the last thing he said kind of horrified me that he had no real insider information I was hoping to hear something that was going to make me feel a little bit better about what's going on. And I appreciate the positivity, Kenny, but me and John are about to just completely dismantle that idea. I feel bad, but I don't think. They are nowhere near close to starting a season. They are about as far away as they were when they stopped spring training. Start it up. John, what the hell is going on? Why can't these people figure anything out? How come every proposal I see from Major League Baseball is the same thing and the players union just is like way
1: over there? Because every day, the players want something that the owners don't want. Then the owners want something that the players don't want. So, That's why you've been having this back-and-forth squabble between pay, between how much money we want to be paid, how many games we're going to play. We've already had a 114-game season get shut down. Manfred, the owners were talking about maybe a 50-game season or 60 or so games being played. We don't know where that's going. Now, the Players Association, as of yesterday, proposed an 89-game schedule to their season with playoff games thrown in it will be 25 less games than the 114 and 13 games more than what the players wanted of a 76 game proposal on Monday. So right now, every day it's been, oh, we'll do 76 games. Oh, we'll do 89 games. Oh, we're going to do 50 something games. Nobody can make up their mind. And here is why,
0: in my opinion, this is just my opinion. And, and, John, pull up the new uh, Players Union proposal. Or, Shane, let's, let's get that done while this is happening. Um, so, every proposal that Major League Baseball, the owners, have put forth to the players, they all have different amount of games with different amounts of their prorated salary taken away to make whatever proposal that they created I did a little bit of research on this and we, the guys over in the downtown sports research department um, did some research on this and uh, we came up with something that was kind of very interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Every plan that major league baseball has put forth, are you ready for this? Yep. Pays pretty much the same amount of money to the players whether it's the 50-game proposal, the 89, the 86-game proposal. I don't know how many different ideas Major League Baseball the owners have thrown out there or have leaked into the press. I swear I've heard about 15 different plans from March to now. It's insane. But they're all worth the same amount of money. And – The owners think that the player, that they're giving the players concessions, they know they're not doing it. They're using this opportunity to break the Major League Baseball Players Union. This is what is happening right now.
1: And don't think the players themselves don't realize what's going on.
0: And the thing is, the owners don't think that we realize what's going on either. But let's take a look at this new proposal from the Players Union Let's see if this thing makes any sense.
1: So here's what we have, and uh, let me go take a look at it on my end. Let me go over to my screen there. There we go. So here's what I have here from MLB Trade Rumors. This is written by Steve Adams from June 9th yesterday. Oh, great. So the Major League Baseball Players Association is preparing to send a counterproposal which would call for 89 games at prorated salaries and expanded playoffs. This will be 25 games less than the 114-game proposal that the union sent And it's 13 games more than what the players, than what the Major League Baseball's 76 game proposal was on Monday. But the league's proposal only guaranteed players 50% of their prorated salary and another 25% if a postseason is played all the way to the end. So, right now, when you look at all this, it's very hard to even see a deal being completed, even when you you know, no matter how many games you put in, no matter what kind of money you're throwing in that direction, both sides are going to continue to just keep hitting an impasse. It's just going to yeah. be an impasse constantly.
0: Yeah, and the problem is the owners, every proposal has literally not changed the amount of money they're willing to give to players. And that is where the impasse is. The impasse is the players are not accepting of what the owners are saying that they could spend on players' salaries. The players don't believe them. If you actually take a look at the Atlanta Braves books, that's the only set of books you could actually take a look at in Major League Baseball because the Atlanta Braves are a publicly owned entity. So you actually can see their books. And if you see their books, um, players are not happy with the situation because – and, and their books are probably the least egregious and most uh, – the least egregious because they have to be transparent. Even in the probably the most, like – Rosy scenario of a baseball team's books. And let me go into this it's a little bit. It's not
1: enough money that you're giving to the players. Let me go into this a little bit more. And yeah, the biggest issue has not been anything involving expanding the postseason or even the number of games, but it's been the player's salary. That's been the biggest problem with why these sides are both far apart. The union wants prorated salaries, but ownership wants to have additional pay cuts. And then mentioning team profitability, and that's going to make everything go. No. So that's where the argument really comes from. The owners want to do more cutting, but the union wants to have prorated salaries. So that's been the main argument with all of this. Uh, If the season, and then the proposals also, they believe, you know, they want the regular season to resume on July 10th, run through October 11th, and to ensure it doesn't go up against the NBA playoffs, which would finish on the 12th. But so they want to also make sure that the NBA and the major league baseball don't kind of crash into one another. So that's why this is good. What the NBA did. And we discussed that in our previous segment. And this is why they came to a deal pretty quick. If neither side can come to an agreement on salary terms, it's becoming increasingly likely that commissioner Manfred will just implement a 50 game season with prorated salaries. And I'm not sure if everybody's going to be happy about that, even to play 50 games and, The overwhelming majority believes there shouldn't even be baseball played. And to make matters worse, next year in 2021, after the season is over, the CBA expires. 1994, Major League Baseball had a strike. Remember what happened with that strike, guys? We were... Only four years old I was, but we were old enough to remember the 94 strike. from life. I actually lifetime.
0: remember it pretty well. I remember I was nine. I was like, you know, in the height of my being a kid and loving to go to Mets games, right? So and- as a nine-year-old, I was upset. Like, why isn't there baseball? What, what their goal getting paid millions of dollars? I don't care. And then you, you see the people running onto the field after the strike was over in Shea Stadium with the signs up, greed, greed. And they were really going at the players here. But this is different. I think the world's changed a bit. I think we kind of understand a little more, or at least maybe the younger generation of sports fan might understand a little more that what happens with these unions and what happens in these types of negotiations actually affects the rest of the world. Because if a powerful union – like the Major League Baseball Players Association, actually agrees to play for only 50% of their agreed contracted salaries, what in the name of God do you think companies would do to much smaller unions like the ones that normal people are involved in through their jobs?
1: So you think whatever baseball does, the other unions and the other sports, when their CBAs end, might try to follow suit with Major League Baseball.
0: And not just that.
1: That And not just
0: that. And not just that. Imagine the kinds of concessions that like, you know, maybe a textile union, like a small little textile union somewhere would have to then give up because, well, the most powerful union in the country gave up this and they have all the lawyers that could have defended all of that, but they gave that up. That's the, that's the connection that people don't realize. When something happens to the most powerful union, it all trickles down to everybody else. You ever want to know what an example of trickle-down economics is? That's an example of trickle-down economics. Screw over the top union and get the rest of the unions below them to fall in line. So and That's what
1: worries me. That worries me a lot. Look what's going to happen. And this is kind of interesting because it's the prelude to the 94 strike. Let's go back to some teams that, you know, are the echelon of sports now, but they weren't before that. The Yankees, for example. You remember how the Yankees were in the early 90s into the late 80s? That was an 18-year period from 78 to 96. They did not win a World Series. You know how not bad they were! They
0: not, not only did they not win a World Series.
1: How bad they were during those years?
0: They were about as bad as the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. Uh, The the modern day Pittsburgh pirates. That's how, that's how terrible we're talking.
1: The strike then came along in 94 and the Yankees the following year, right after that strike one year after found themselves in the playoffs. And then 96 began their dynasty toward winning their four world series titles.
0: And that really did revive baseball. Like everybody, by the way, let me just say this for the last couple of minutes. Uh, Anybody who's a baseball fan, now I'm a Mets fan, the Yankees are not my favorite team, but there were two things that got us through and got us out of the 94 strike and brought baseball back to popularity. The home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, which we all poo-poo now because they did steroids. Meanwhile, we were all in the crowds cheering it while it was going on. And the second thing that brought baseball back was the Yankee dynasty and New York's love of the Yankee dynasty and everybody else's subsequent hatred of said Yankee dynasty, of said evil empire. That's what brought the sport back. I don't see a team equipped to do something like that in Major League Baseball for a very long time.
1: Those days... Those days with the Steinbrenner are over. Those days of Steinbrenner are over.
0: Let me just explain this. Let me just explain this. If you see what Major League Baseball originally wanted to do with the whole little soft cap revenue split thing, that was ridiculous. Now they want a cap for this season and then possibly next season because I think these negotiations trickle into the 2021 season, do they not? Yes. What happens in
1: 2020 could affect 2021 – because of the and, COVID. Then, you
0: know, and then comes the new CBA. So what baseball is literally trying to do is break their union before they have to negotiate with them on a full-on contract. So they're attempting to break the union before the union can actually fight for any sort of rights in a new contract. So basically, Major League Baseball has now pretty much set up the – the the entire gamut of how these negotiations after, tw- after the 2021 season are going to go. Let's just put it out right here. Major League Baseball has been aggressive towards a players union during a pandemic. Imagine what they're going to do when everything is okay. Do you think they're going to all of a sudden work together in good faith when things are better, if they're better?
1: We could be very much seeing what I really hope is not going to happen, the end of America's pastime. I mean... And that scares me.
0: Yeah. We I,
1: grew up watching baseball, and now we could all see it go tumbling down and going down.
0: In we, th- In life, you see things go and come and come and go, and baseball looks like it's on a path of being out of here, which is terrible because that's my favorite sport. I don't really want to cover sports all that much unless I've got baseball to talk about here and there throughout the year that is my favorite sport that's the sport that got me into all the other sports all the other sports for me growing up were like the replacement thing for when baseball wasn't on TV that's how much I love this game and that's what they're going to take away from me if they can't come to some sort of an agreement now how do we resolve it yes I got an idea How about this? 80 game season, right? 80 game season. Pay them 75% of their salaries and bump it up to 85% of their prorated salaries if they complete a full set of playoffs. You get to save some money. The players get a little more than what they were get, getting offered for Major League Baseball at this point. You have an 80-game season. You pretty much cut the season in half. And you move on. Uh, I think that's the only way. Major League Baseball has to give in on the money part a little bit. I'm not saying completely give them 100% of the salaries per rated. The books don't work. The books don't work. But – you got to believe that viewership is going to be up you're going to make more money than you thought the economy is bouncing back faster than people thought it would so let's just stop the arguing and get baseball back on television let's stop the arguing and get baseball on tv for people to watch let's have sports again we need this we, we need baseball back more than anything because that's even though it might not be America's favorite sport, that's been America's pastime. That's America's cultural identity. It's a cultural thing for this country. And if we can't actually get millionaires and billionaires to agree to do something for all of us, then the entire sport's going to fall apart. Because it doesn't really matter which side you're on. I agree with the players, but it doesn't really matter if I agree with them or not. doesn't matter if Beast agrees with them or not. doesn't matter if anybody agrees with them or not. Because... I don't care who's right or who's wrong if there's nothing on TV for me to see, if there's no baseball for me to watch. I don't care who's right or who's wrong. Y'all both are wrong if that's the approach you take.
1: Look what's already happened to the minors. Look what's already happened in minor league baseball. They're not even going to play this year at all. They've already lost how much money this from this COVID-19.
0: And by the way, um, I will never attend an Oakland A's game. I will never buy Oakland A's merchandise. I will never deal with Oakland A's for any reason, unless I'm professionally supposed to, because of what they did and how they are, I believe the only team to not pay their minor leaguers this year. Good job.
1: And on that note, that wraps up today's edition of downtown sports. We thank all of you for listening. I want to thank Kenny Albert for joining us today. I'm the Beast of the East, John Periente, the Mouth of the South, John Shavoni. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Radio Public, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Breaker. We are on every Tuesday, Wednesday, with rants, full episodes. Please listen in to downtown sports every single week.
0: I'm the Beast of the East, John Pariente. I'm John Chavone, the Mouth of the South. I want to thank our uh, support staff, Shane Sullivan, Chris DeLarge, Tony Manville. I want to thank Kenny Albert as well for coming on. We'll talk
1: to you next week, guys. Bye.